Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. I'm so intrigued about this topic. It's about using improv in the classroom. Our expert, Katie McKnight, Dr. Katie McKnight, is a is a is an expert in improv on top of everything else she's done. I'm going to admit that I know almost nothing about this topic, but I'm so fired up from reading some of her work about how improv is this kinesthetic way to develop content literacy, creative thinking, and these other skills she's going to talk about. Hey, Dr. McKnight, how are you? Hello, how are you? Greetings. <laughs> I'm fantastic, and I'm so glad you're here. And I, I was reading all your stuff last night. I just so want to try some of these techniques. Let me tell everybody just a little bit about you, and then I'm going to have you fill in some gaps, particularly about the improv, because I know so little about this. Okay. Uh, Haiti actually studied improv, but she's also written like a jillion books. She's an international speaker and consultant, particularly with literacy across the content, station teaching, especially for older kids. She's the founder of engaginglearners.com. We'll talk about that a little bit. So Katie, if you wouldn't mind... Fill in a little more about your background, which is really vast, but if you could focus a little bit about how you got involved in improv and where you studied and all that kind of stuff. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So um, I, my family has always been, <laughs> my uh, has some background in theater and stuff with community theater. And when I was teaching high school and social studies on the South Side in Chicago, um, I really noticed very quickly that if we could explore uh, especially complex, linguistically complex text by interactive kinds of things like um, uh, theater games and, and such that it really helped kids to be able to do close reading and unpack the text. And this was many years ago. This was almost, you know, like 25, 30 years ago. I'm kind of dating myself. And um, my dissertation is actually, uh, when I graduated with my PhD, is based on it of, of using kind of interactive um, strategies and such in the classroom very, very long time ago. But then about, you know, when I was teaching at the university, uh, I my sister actually is the co-author for my book, uh, The Second City Guide to Improv in the Classroom. And she was the head of writing and educational programming at Second City at the time. And this was way back, like in 2006, 2007. And so we tried out some of the techniques with one of her colleagues, Ann Libra, um, with my MAT students. And it just, it just boomed, you know, like all this information, all this um, uh, insight that we had as far as the development of literacy skills and um, developing discipline and content knowledge. It was pretty um uh, transformational, actually. And so then my sister and I started working on a book. And I thought, you know, I got to stop writing about this vicariously. I need I need to get myself into some classes. So I signed up for beginning improv at Second City, because I have a, an entire training center in Chicago, um, did that for a year. And then with the encouragement of some of my teachers and, and such said, hey, why don't you audition for conservatory? And I thought they were nuts because, you know, here I was in my mid, you know, 40s at the time. And uh, it's more of a young person's game. And I thought, oh, I don't know about that, because that's the program that, 
improvisers that some of our listeners might know, uh, like, you know, Stephen Colbert, Tina Fey, have graduated from conservatory in, in, at Second City. So I auditioned. They actually let the old lady in, part of right. her midlife crisis. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there I am on stage with um, a bunch of the youngins, too. You know, so I'm the old fart with you know, these 20, 30-something-year-olds. And then you have to audition, you know, to stay in the program, and it's a year-long program. And so I was, you know, doing that. And uh, then it culminates in a show that's on the main stage that you and your ensemble write and perform. So if you want a really good laugh, go on to YouTube, type in Katie McKnight, Sarah Palin, there's my big number on the main stage. And uh, so, so uh, but the connections to uh, what we do as educators is phenomenal. It's, it's really pretty groundbreaking. And whenever I do a workshop on this, um, I was actually uh, just at a school yesterday and, and, you know, feeding this in uh, as part of our workshop on um, balanced literacy and doing centers and use those as brain breaks. They were just blown away. And whenever I present this work, I start getting tweets right away of, hey, I just tried this in my classroom. It worked. It's crazy. It's crazy simple, but it crazy works. And uh, um, yeah, so so in addition to having that educator life, I, I, I did study improv at, at Second City. So uh, yeah, but of course, as teachers... <laughs> We're the best at improv, aren't we? No, we, we, wouldn't survive, we would not survive a week, would we? You know, especially yeah, when the, especially the middle school teachers. No, that's what I'm talking about. Well, even, in particular. even the way we relate with our administrators. Got your lesson plans? Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> sure uh-huh. do. Yeah, sure, sure do. Okay. So first of all, let's 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 just kind of get in terms of uh, how can it help our kids? Let's just start with that. I mean, what can this do for them? Sure. Okay. So um, let me let me start with kind of you know the history of improv very briefly, and it's connections with education. And then I'll kind of start connecting it to what we do in the classroom. And the thing that I get super geeked up about is that the skill sets that we use in reading and writing in particular, uh, we use in improvisation, but it's purely kinesthetic. And that opens up a pathway that we don't always necessarily um, get to use or capitalize on in the classroom. And, uh, and, and children with special needs, and I'm going to talk about that in particular, do extraordinarily well in, in improvisation. So I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Okay, so here's the deal. So once upon a time, there was a gal by the name of Viola Spolin. She is the foundational artist for improvisation. She got her start in the settlement houses in Chicago, and was working with immigrant children. And she soon learned that as, or soon realized that as she was working with uh, the children, that there was great difficulty in communication because there was just this cacophony of languages being spoken. And so uh, in short, what happened is that um, uh, it was her son Paul Sills, who founded the very famous Second City in Chicago. So these improv games, and in the improv world, they call them games. I always refer to them as exercises in education because it makes people a little less squirrely about them. (laughs) But, But basically what they are is that there's a point of concentration, a problem that needs to be solved. And it's from there that the creativity, the communication, the skills that we use in reading and writing emerge. 
So, uh, uh, so a lot of folks will think of improv as ha 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 kind of thing. And you go and see a show or watch whose line is it anyway, but it actually has its roots in education and children. And most people don't know that. So that's kind of the exciting thing about it. So the skill set that we use in improvisation are reading skills like um, uh, understanding a context, uh, being able to uh, uh, create a main idea or a theme or idea, and then use details to build on it. So if you study improv, your improv teacher is probably always telling you that. Like, instead of using um, pronouns, make sure that you name something um, because it gives it clarity and concreteness that you wouldn't have otherwise. A lot of inference, great understanding of audience, audience point of view, and how you communicate your ideas clearly in an articulate way. And all of this is done um, through these improvisational games slash exercises. And it's crazy fun. And I've used this as young as preschool, as old as adults. And the interesting thing is, is that the study that I did on it back, gosh, it was like back in like 2007, 2008. And uh, it's um, in Journal of Arts, in uh, International Journal of Arts and Education. And I can share that article too on Myad Expert. So if you want the, the nerdy researchy part of it, it's there too. And what we found was that it had an impact on student performance. We started seeing improvement in students' comprehension skills. We also saw um, improvement in kids' writing, and especially in tone, uh, author, and point of view in particular. And kids just had a sense of things that they didn't otherwise when it's just pen to paper. And kids who were um, on the spectrum in particular do extraordinarily well with this work. And here's my hypothesis with it. I think one of the reasons I have a um, 16 or no, he just turned 17, 17 year old son who has autism and I've played improv games with him and, and, and such. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the social expectations are all spelled out in improvisation. So the expectations are clear and Kids who are on the spectrum do really, really well. Nick Jean at Second City, he's a, a, a teacher, a trainer at Second City. Um, great, great, great guy. Very well-known improviser. And he was actually one of my teachers in conservatory. He has a class for adults that are on the spectrum. And it's been featured on NBC Nightly News in the past. And it, it just really transforms life. And so improv has been used a lot in the business world as well. Uh, but as far as education, uh, I think I'm one of the only ones who does it. I think there's a couple of other people, but um, my sister and I were the first ones who really developed a program at Second City on it um, with support from uh, the training center faculty there. And that was many, many years ago. And then also uh, we wrote the book on it. And I'm actually in the process of uh, creating another book with my colleague, Elaine Carlson, called Yes And for the Classroom, where we're really integrating the neuroscience and what we know about brain development and the connections to improvisation in the classroom and learning. And that should be out sometime in January and February, hopefully, if I get it written. <laughs> Well, that, that's amazing. I mean, just listening to everything, that's just so amazing what you're doing on this. I mean, I'm just fascinated by it. So you mentioned the yes and. What does that mean? 
Yeah. So there's basically three principles um, in improvisation. And the first is ensemble. So as an educator, as a teacher, wow, you know, that's classroom community. And if I'm going to use, for instance, a balanced literacy classroom, or if I'm going to use um, uh, mathematical principles and collaboration, wow, the kids have to learn to get along with each other. And with improvisers, it's not about me. It's about you, Susie. It's my job as an ensemble member to make you look good. It's not about me. It's about you. And I'm going to take care of you. And that is the basic tenet of, of ensemble. So the first level games uh, are, are, are really work at building ensemble. And, and that's what we want to see. And so you learn a lot about your kids when they're engaging in these kinds of games, too, how well they actually work together as an ensemble. But you really want to uh, build their trust and confidence and collaborative skills and communication through ensemble building uh, improvisational games. Okay, so that's the first tenet. And then the second tenet is give and take. So if the focus is on me, I'm not going to hog it. I'm going to make sure that I share that. So if you and I are working together on something, there's a give and take going on. And I keep thinking about all of the work that I do with centers and getting kids and collaborative groups and engaged in uh, effective, uh, on-task academic work. And when we do those kinds of things with um, improvisation, it, it naturally lends itself to the work that we do in classrooms, to the learning that we do in classrooms and what's expected in a 21st century classroom. So that's the idea of give and take is that there's this exchange back and forth. And then the last one is the principle of yes and. And when people talk about improvisation, that's usually the first thing that they talk about is the concept of yes and. And yes and works like this. Whatever suggestion you give, Susie, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to go with it. So if you said to me, hey, Katie, you know, here's a pencil, and I said to you, no, it's a banana, uh, then I'm negating what you're saying to me. And then we have nowhere to go. There's no creativity. There's no exploration. There's um, nothing to build on. But if you hand me a pencil and, and I say, oh, wow, thank you for the pencil, you know, I'm going to start writing with it and see what happens. Let's see what happens. And we start writing with it, and you say, look at it. It's a magic pencil. It's a magic pencil that's going to lead us to a treasure. And then we just keep building and building and building from there. So as soon as I embrace what you've offered me, we have a place to explore. And so, uh, uh, and it's really quite exciting. You know, a lot of improvisers and people who are involved in this work, you know, it's just imagine if, you know, our world, our politicians were like, yes, and. There's a wonderful um, uh, uh, administrator that I know in Miami, uh, Jenny Knight, and on her door, she just has one word on her office door, right. and it's <laughs> yes. <laughs> So anytime anybody comes into her office, she says, the answer is yes. Um, now we have to figure out how. And, and, and I, I just love that philosophy because I think in education, with so many variables that come at us, we get kind of almost like kind of tongue-tied about, you know, how do we see a path through? And yes, and is a very, very powerful um, tool. And then I have a special one for educators. <laughs> and the special one, so it's these are the three tenets of improv, and here's a special one just for educators. There are no mistakes in improv. Um, what's perceived as a mistake or an error is actually an opportunity for us to explore an area that we may have not been able to explore before. So we embrace it 
and we recognize it, especially if it's a content error or informational error, um, it gives you a lot of insight too into why the student said that, right? And sometimes they come up with a connection. So, so mistakes, quote unquote, in the improv world are seen as gifts. They're an opportunity to look at something in a different way or explore something in a different way. And how wonderful is that in a classroom when a student may have come up with something and it's technically not right and you say, okay, let's go with that. Where's that going to lead us and see where, why the student came up with it? There's usually a connection there. There's usually a connection that happens. So I was working in a classroom earlier this week and we were um, doing the American Revolution and brainstorming terms and things like that. And the student came up with the Gettysburg Address. That was what they contributed. And I said, okay, um, and, and the rest of the kids, you know, everybody else is like, no, 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 that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. And I said, well, let's talk about that for a moment. What's the first line of the Gettysburg Address? And the student who suggested it, she says, well, four score and seven years ago. Exactly. That was the American Revolution. That's the connection. So we start talking about what the freedoms were that we fought for in the American Revolution and what Lincoln was talking about in the Gettysburg Address. So the actions of the American Revolution were still, there were still repercussions, still undertones that were happening in the Civil War in Lincoln's very famous speech. So is it technically um, a term that we associate with the American Revolution? No. But that student, you know, she felt a little like, oh, that doesn't work. Once we had a little discussion about it, we were like, wow, that was kind She's of like, a little good gift. Yeah. Pretty good answers yeah. where we're going. I love uh-huh. that mistakes are gifts. I mean, we could use that in every classroom because we're mm-hmm. talking about large, uh, you know, more literacy. But in math, you know, it's the mm-hmm. number one fear with kids is making a mistake. They're, they're, they're afraid to do the problem because it might be so right and wrong. And to see mistakes as gifts is just grow, 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 right? I mean, exactly. that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, and, and, uh, I was looking and Katie's going to post this on my expert because, uh, she's got a, some guidelines, some general guidelines and some games in there that you can start with. I, and it's got pictures of Katie in action. I love this thing you're going to post. So we're going to put a link to that. <laughs> um, but one thing I noticed in, in listening to you, there are some, there's some rules in, in, in improv too, that kind of reins us together or maybe some etiquette. So can yeah. you get us started with a little bit of that? Yeah. Well, they're really rooted in those principles that I just mentioned as far as um, ensemble, give and take. Yes. And in the improv world, if it becomes all about you, and you're constantly drawing attention away from an ensemble, and you're in an audition, you won't get cast. You could be the most talented person in the world, but they won't cast you. And that's really um, necessary for the kinds of um, educational settings that we have in a 21st century classroom. That's really critical. That's the core of it, right? So um, that's probably the most important, quote unquote, rule. And there's always a focus of concentration in each game. So, for instance, if I took um, uh, Zip Zap Zop, which is explained in the uh, um, posting that we'll have on the classroom uh, guide, is a very simple game. Folks are in a circle and they pass around, they, you know, send a um, hand gesture and say zip. And then if I send it to you, Susie, you would say zap and send it to somebody else and, and so on. And so that's the focus. But sometimes, you know, kids don't realize that they have to have eye contact or they say um, zip and somebody else says zip. The focus of the game is to keep the energy going. So some kids will say, oh, they said zip two times in a row. That's wrong. They should be out. No, there's nobody out in improv. It's not very yes and to kick somebody out and have elimination. Okay. 
It's just not how, how the philosophy goes. So um, instead, you know, it's about keeping the energy going. So that's really a guideline is that the, there's a focus of concentration, a problem that needs to be solved. And if we start going away from that focus, that's when things start kind of falling apart. But if you have um, the idea of ensemble, give and take, and yes, and, then, you know, those are basically the rules. That's it. And, and then for teachers, the special one is there's no mistakes. Mistakes are gifts. So yeah. another one, you, and I like, I love that. So another one of your games, I, I don't want to, you, you guys can grab these because she has instructions on them. So we're going kind of quickly here, but uh, tell us a little bit about pearls in a string or, or spacewalk. Why don't you pick one of those and just share a little bit so we can kind of get our mind around this. Yeah, sure. I'm going to start with spacewalk because that's probably the best game to start with okay. uh, with your students. Uh, and, and it's an ensemble building game. And one of the cool things about our new book with Yes and for the Classroom is that Elaine and I are going to go into classrooms with real kids and demonstrate these games with real kids. And they'll be posted. So when you go through the book, there'll be a QR code um, uh, and it's posted online. So you could click pearls on, uh, pearls on a string or spacewalk and see kids actually do it and see Elaine and I actually um, directing the activity because it's hard to talk about improv. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you really, yeah, you really have to see it. Um, so, so basically um, it works like this. You, you have an area um, and I kind of set the parameters for that of what, where the end zone is and the out of bounds uh, range. And then, you know, I have about 10 to 15 kids and I'll say, okay, we're going to spacewalk. And here are the directions. It is a no talking, no touching game. Um, you always have to say no touching, especially with primary. And so you walk around that space and then it builds. So um, one part might be when you go by somebody, uh, one of your ensemble mates, I want you to look at their eyes just long enough that you can figure out the eye color. So we're developing eye contact. And then I always say, if you're uncomfortable with that, look at their left earlobe because kids who are on the spectrum or kids who um, culturally, it may be uncomfortable to look at somebody's eyes um, that they have an alternative. And I'm that specific, like look at the left earlobe um, because if you say, oh, just look somewhere generally in the face, they're like all over the place. So, okay, so you walk around and I might do that. And I might say, when you walk by somebody, say your name um, or give them a quick hello. And then now you're walking on a, um, uh, you're walking on a uh, floor that's made out of cherry jello. Now you're walking through a field. Now you're walking on a beach. Now you're walking on the space station and start experimenting with that. And then the next part is stopping. So I say, when I say freeze, the whole group is going to stop. And what I'm looking for is to see that this ensemble is stopping as a unit, that, you know, it's not, you know, Susie stops and I stop, you know, that it's kind of disjointed. I want to see that this looks like it's one organism, one object. Okay. And then we go through that. So, you know, it's walk and then freeze, walk and then freeze, walk and then freeze. And what's really fascinating, fascinating about it is how the energy shifts and people get very, very focused and they want to be successful because the goal is the point of concentration is to stop um, and freeze. So, so it looks like the whole ensemble. And then what piggybacks onto that is the idea of give and take. So I'm walking around, I've frozen everybody and um, I, I start walking around the group 
And I have the focus and the rest of the ensemble is supporting me because they're frozen and I'm walking around. And then without saying anything or touching anybody, I just go to somebody else and give them permission. So I might walk over to you, Susie, and and just stand in front of you. And you know that that's your cue. Then you take over. And we keep doing that. And, And as an ensemble, we take care of each other. We don't hog it. So I usually have to remind fourth grade girls about that, that you just don't keep exchanging right. among your friends, right? right. <laughs> you know what, though? You're describing and, these. And I'm, and okay, I'm going towards back, how this might really fit with back to school, not just with our students, but with our faculty. Oh, like yeah. you get all these mm-hmm. new teachers in. Yeah. What, what, do you have any opinions about that? Would that, would that work pretty well? Oh, absolutely. As far as building classroom community. And let me give you a quick example. Education First is a uh, student travel company and they have teacher appreciation um, weekends, you know, for teachers who take their kids on tour. And I just did a workshop for them um, last week in Boston. And it's a group of about 50 people from all over the country. And they... Um, uh, uh, they're from all over the country and, you know, they're all kind of friendly sorts cause that's how we are as educators. And once we do the workshop, the director for the teacher appreciation week and, and relationships, um, Karina Joy, she says, you know, and I've been doing this with them for about four or five years now. She said the whole group completely changes. They gel in a way that never happened for them before. And they really become a community. And because they've had these shared experiences and they built this trust factor with each other that they didn't have before. And same thing with faculty. When I was at um, St. Gregory the Great at Whittier, California, um, the last two days, we were doing some improv games in between working on um, uh, the work that we were doing on balanced literacy in centers and um, implementing literacy and learning centers in the classroom. And so I was using these as brain breaks. That's another way that you could use it. And the, they had a big faculty turnover. So one third of their faculty is new. And the principal was so thrilled because uh, they were already gelling as a community because of these exercises. It's amazing I, I always say it's seriously voodoo magic. Out of anything that I do, when I've done a workshop on this, I'll immediately get feedback uh, from people who have, uh, from colleagues who have participated in the workshop on Instagram, Twitter, uh, showing their little cutie pie first graders doing a game like Pearls on a String, or they're doing um, Spacewalk and Give and Take. And, and it's really amazing. It's amazing how powerful it is. Now, everyone's going to want to know how to find you. So before I forget, what is your website? What's your Twitter? Yeah. So my website is actually going through a lot of a lot of changes right now. But you can find me on engaginglearners.com. And then my Twitter is at Literacy World. Okay. And, uh, and then on Facebook, I'm Katie McKnight Literacy. And then on Instagram, it's Engaging Learners. But pretty much by um, September 1, everything will be under Engaging Learners. But my Twitter handle is at Literacy World. And, of course, um, you can always contact me when you go to my webpage. I have my contact information there if you want to send me a direct email. I love hearing from colleagues. I, I, it's, the, it's the only connection or it's one of the connections that I have to know how this works in classrooms. And that's really um, paramount for me. Well, I think that's fabulous. And you know, I'm also thinking about with this digital age, which is, is wonderful, you know, it's wonderful, but we can now click to click to see a movie, click to, you know, click to hear a song. 
And improv gives them a, a, an opportunity to what? Yeah, you know, my sister used to talk about this all the time. You know, it really gets back to our roots as human beings. You know, we've always want to share stories, tell stories, right? That goes back to, you know, cavemen writing on the walls about the woolly mammoth hunt or sitting around a campfire and talking and sharing. When we do that, it's a shared experience. And technology, I don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a tech geek, love technology. But one of the things that I was challenged to do by um, uh, a friend of mine was to put my phone away at 6 o'clock at night and really be present. And I started doing it, and I realized how much I was doing on my phone that wasn't productive, you know, in, in a sense. And, and it was really helped me to bring back to that reality. So there's a human component to this work about having these shared experiences and quite frankly, just having fun and play. Marie Montessori talks about the role of play. And I think play is conspicuously, um, it's a four-letter word that's conspicuously absent in education. And, and when we talk about play, it's not just for the little guys. It's also for our high school students. Uh, I've used improv. I know colleagues who have used improv. My friend Brad has used uh, improv in uh, high school mathematics, in his high school math classes. Um, I know teachers who have used it in AP uh, um, European history. So it's a, it's a pathway, it's an avenue to reflect and understand and um, uh, engage in metacognition about what we do, why we do it, and how we do it, and also building empathy and community in our classrooms. And, and I think, the, you know, my, my fellow improvisers are, are quite right, those who do this work like in corporate America and other avenues of, wow, if we had yes and as a philosophy, if that was our go-to kind of attitude, imagine, imagine what we could create, just like Jenny Knight has on her, her door to the principal's office, yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. And that, that came, I think, in part out of the work that I was doing in her school on, on improv in the classroom. Um, they have a, a video about creativity and using improv in the classroom on their website. It's Miami Country Day School. And, and it's quite powerful practice. Well, I, I'm just so excited just listening to you. Your work, your work is so much fun. I would just love to go. <laughs> I just like to go to one of your workshops. And here are some things I've picked up on. And I'd like for, for you to maybe, maybe some final next steps for teachers and leaders. I, even the brain breaks, you know, we're ta- there's so much research mm-hmm. by the end of the day, kids are just so fatigued. To just be before that last period class, do one of something as a brain break to let's just get re-energized. I can just, I would so love to come back to work in the fall and have our faculty start with one of these mm-hmm. to get to know people, to get my, you know, just, just to feel a part of our community. And of course, there's a lot of research on students needing to feel a sense of community that they belong in this school. And I just see such power with that. Of course, the philosophies on mistakes or gifts. Mm-hmm. I can see so many intellectual, you know, strengths from this of concentration and, and, um, and your writing mm-hmm. and creative thinking. And, you know, what are, what are, um, employers looking for? Can, are you good at working in a group? Are you a creative problem solver? This just seems to go with so much. So now I've taken all your thunder. <laughs> if, you, if, you can, <laughs> if you can dig deep now, Katie, and find something yeah. that Susie hasn't taken from you now, what are a couple of things you'd like to leave educators with? 
Well, you know, a couple of things. I, I'm thinking now too because you and I, you know, our enthusiasm is is contagious. I'm like, hey, Susie, we need to do a workshop just on like math and improv. Let's do it. I don't know, you know? I don't know if people could handle it. I don't. I don't know. I know. I know. We'd all be exhausted afterwards, but but it'd be super fun. Um, uh, no key, no decaf coffee will be served at that work. Only decaf coffee will be served at I that. I think workshop, decaf but- coffee should be banned. I don't know who came up with that bad idea anyway, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, so back on topic. <laughs> so so really, you know, again, it's that yes and philosophy. And I want to remind folks too that, you know, in an era where we have so much pressure on us, so many external variables, that when we get back to really our core principles of why we're teachers and bringing joy in the classroom, here's the super cool thing. When we do things like this and have improv in the classroom and centers and things like that, I oftentimes hear from colleagues of Katie, I, I get what you're saying, but I don't have time. Time, time, time. I hear that all the all all the time. The four letter word of education. Time. Well, get over it. You're never gonna have enough time. So, but the thing is, is that when you do these kinds of things, here's what the data is showing for me is that it increases student performance. And so when we do things like this, it is rigorous work. We are developing skill sets that are assessed on, you know, the, the big ugly test that we have to look at or benchmarks. So, so there's, that's usually a fear factor of that if I don't do what I've done, then um, uh, it might hurt me in the end. I encourage you to, to, to change that, to look at a different avenue and, and looking at the creativity and the principle of yes and, because that is going to prepare kids for any assessment that could be thrown at them. And, and also getting our kids engaged. And that's something else that colleagues say is like, wow, everybody's so engaged um, with what we're doing. And, and that's, really about, that's really what it's about, is that it's purposeful work. It's fun work as well. And um, it truly is a gift. And I'm so lucky that I get to share this work with colleagues, um, you know, uh, in the United States and also internationally. I've taught improv in Lithuania to teachers, to language teachers. And uh, it, it, it really is a phenomenal thing. And my colleague Elaine and I, um, you know, in addition to everything that we do in balanced literacy, but Elaine uh, um, uh, and I, Elaine Carlson and I do improv in the classroom and do workshops and uh, in schools all over the United States. And I have done conferences on that too. So if you're interested in that, of having a public event, I'd love to hear about that and and see if we should do that. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm so on board and you know what? I'm also thinking as 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 you're talking about a particular group of students who maybe are not enjoying school anymore. They don't even want to get on the bus that morning. But let me tell you, if we're doing something like this, I'm getting on that. But I'm excited about coming to school again, the joy of learning, feeling like I belong in that school. I mean, I'm just touched by the work that you do. I think it's just so incredibly powerful. And I'm so glad you joined us. I just want to go to one of your workshops, maybe. That's what I want to do. Okay, so... I, I don't want to end this this podcast without thanking every educator out there. Katie and I, we have been in education for a really long time. Mm-hmm. We love it, and we so appreciate the work that all of you are doing with your kids every day for opening doors, digging deep, finding new ways to reach your kids. 
Join us every week for a new podcast. On Wednesdays, we release a new podcast with an educational thought leader like Dr. Katie McKnight, who's just awesome. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And remember, all great teaching and learning begins with yes and. Very good. And no mistake, mistakes are gifts. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, mistakes are gifts. All right. <laughs> thank you, Dr. McKnight. Thank you. Thanks, Susie. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.